the way of Jesus, we heard from Jesus himself, is not glamorous. He referred to it as the way of the cross. His way is the way of a cross. Not glamorous. One of my favorite examples of this is a Welsh girl, peasant girl named Mary Jones. This story used to be really well known. Mary Jones uh, grew up in a tiny little village. Uh, Her father had died when she was young. And she wanted nothing more than to read the Bible. Her mom would share stories from the Bible, but first Mary couldn't read. Uh, And they were in such poverty that having a Bible was a dream. But Mary saved her pennies, selling eggs, doing chores for neighbors, so that she could buy a Bible. It took her 10 years. She was five years old when she conceived that she wanted a Bible. At age 15, she walked 26 miles to Bala in North Wales from her little village to buy this Bible. Her journey to the pastor who sold her the Bible, um, he inspired her to start the Welsh Bible Society. What she, her commitment to, to have the word. Well, Mary went back to her village. She spent the rest of her life as a seamstress in her little village. It's just loving her neighbors. Uh, she told stories from the Bible to the village children. She and her husband lived in the same tiny cottage for the rest of their lives. She never wrote a book, never gave a public talk. She never even attended a banquet. In fact, she never again traveled more than 10 miles from her village. Her story was written down 10 years after her death. That's how we know it. From one of those kids who had learned from her. It was written down, and then for about 100 years, everyone in Wales knew Mary Jones' story. It wasn't glamorous, but it was the way of Jesus. A few hundred years before Mary, another illustration here, a teenager named Nicholas Herman joined the army. This was during the Thirty Years' War. He witnessed several massacres that left him scarred. So he went home to his parents to try to recover uh, some measure of peace with them. He got a few jobs in aristocratic households as a, a footman, valet, and he was really bad at that. He was clumsy. He got fired continuously. And at last, he found an opportunity that seemed to suit him, washing dishes in a monastery. And he stayed there in that monastery, peacefully washing dishes for the rest of his life. He was an unordained brother. That means he was not made a priest. He didn't take clerical vows. He was just living there. Uh, But over the years people began to come to him and visit him because he had a measure of peace that even the other monks didn't have. And so they would come just to talk to him, get get his insights. We know his name as Brother Lawrence. Uh, And we know about him because a friend at that monastery started jotting down the things he said, copying out letters that he wrote. 
Uh, put it into a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God, which I commend to you. One of his regular observations about this way of Jesus, he said this, how happy we would be if we could find the treasure of which the gospel speaks. All else would be as nothing. As it is boundless, the more you search for it, the greater the riches you will find. Let's search unceasingly and let's not stop until we've found it. He gave that advice again and again. How happy we would be if we could find the treasure of the gospel. All else would be as nothing. How about that? How about that? All else would be as nothing. Can you imagine living like that? Content in a village or a monastery, a kitchen. Not troubling about possessions. Not consumed by the ideas of accumulation or self-guarding and self-protecting. Not being always concerned about how we appear, how comfortable we are. I, I, do, I wonder if we even have that kind of imagination. For, for weighing commitment to God against worldly security. Are we even able to get there in our minds? I want to say that more strongly. Can you personally imagine a circumstance in which you would be forced to choose faithfulness to God over job security, over food security, over house security? Faithfulness to God on one hand over house, food, job security. Do we have that imagination? The way of Jesus, which we also call the way of the cross, is headed somewhere different from what our world accepts as normal. And it, it seems crazy to, to most people that anyone would walk that way. This way, this way of the suffering king. It's what the Apostle Paul admits sounds like foolishness. It sounds like crazy land that we would walk this way. He says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And the way of the cross, it seems like nonsense. It seems like loss from the perspective of the perishing order. How often do we stand there so that the way of the cross does seem pretty silly? In commending this way to the Corinthian Christians, he says, bear with me as you would a fool as I talk about this way. So to catch us up on context, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll turn there if you have a scripture. And... We're beginning in verse 16. In this context, Paul has been, uh, he's been trying to unmask Satan's work, Satan's efforts uh, through false teachers who've been at Corinth. If you've been with us through the past few weeks, um, you've seen how 
Uh, how he's done this is he's been drawing parallels between the satanic, the Satan-like pride, posture, approach, the self-seeking way of the false teachers. And so he's unmasking Satan's work there. And now he feels pushed to the point that it, he, feels, he feels awkward about it, of presenting his own life in contrast and letting the Corinthians see who he's imitating. If the false teachers are, they look like Satan, well, look at genuine teaching of the truth. Who is this imitating? Now, since the, those other teachers have insisted on drawing attention to fleshly things, earthly, earthly things, Paul says, okay, I will too. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, okay, I'll boast too. Then verses 20 to 21, he says, in effect, my flesh isn't strong enough to push you around. I'm not as strong as them. I can't lord it over you like they do. I can't be, be the boss like they are, their approach. So I'm going to have to boast in the opposite. I realize I, I, I can't compete with them in lording it over you. So I'm going to have to take the crazy route. And I'm going to boast in things that the world despises. I'm going to boast in those things that from the, the perspective of the perishing order looks like nonsense. I'm going to own those things. He's wanting to drive home the, the paradox of the kingdom of God. As well as this irony that these Corinthian Christians seem to prefer being pushed around. They seem to have a preference for people taking advantage of them. They're showing a preference for standing and uh, viewing the world from the perishing order. He's wanting to draw attention to that. So he starts with surface matters. Are these false teachers native ethnic Jews? Okay, I am too. Were they of the people of Jesus? I am too. It says that in three different ways. Now, let's, that's a surface thing. Now let's start down a divergent road. Are they servants of Christ? These false teachers claimed to be servants of Christ. Well, let's, let's compare. I'm a better one. He's already said that they're, they're like Satan. <laughs> so it's not going to take a, a lot here. Uh, now he's going to show... If they are like Satan, he is a servant of Christ who, in fact, walks in the way of Christ. He doesn't have to say that explicitly. He's just going to show it. And he's going to let the Corinthians draw the conclusions. And he says, if this sounds like a madman, it's because the way of Christ sounds like madness to those who are perishing. So here, here he says, here the way of the suffering king. Here's how the way of Christ has been for Paul. I've served the king with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. One of those times I drifted a night and a day at sea. On frequent voyage, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, river crossings, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? That is, when someone falls, and I am not indignant, feeling the pain of it. This anxiety he has for the churches. When, when someone drifts, who feels that more deeply than I do? Well, being an apostle, being an apostle of the true gospel has meant this life for Paul. This kind of life. Danger upon danger, misery upon misery, Use your imagination for a second, and what do you think Paul looked like? What had his body become? The aches and the pains. I have an, an ankle injury from soccer. Whenever the weather changes, I, my left ankle hurts. Imagine... Many of your bones being broken and healing badly because there was no, no cast to set them. Those, those 39 lashes, do you know why it was not 40? Because the Jews believed that at 40 lashes, both the person giving the punishment and the punished were dehumanized. 40 lashes reduced both of them to the level of an animal. Can you imagine what his back looked like? Five times it was completely ripped open. It was one massive scar. So he's hobbling around this bent, broken thing. Why didn't he stop? Surely he'd done enough. Right? Surely after being stoned, he'd done enough. They thought he was dead. Surely after 80 lashes, he'd done enough. He could have retired to Antioch with honor. Yes, he'd become a sage. People would come from all around to just hear Paul pontificate. He couldn't stop because he was filled up with and he was governed by a different kind of life. And the, the ends and the goals of that life, they're different from the kind of life that are just, just 
just retire to Antioch. So what do I mean when I say he was filled with a different kind of life? In Paul's own words, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. What are we hearing? Paul was filled up with the word of God himself. So that he could say that he knew nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And his speech, his message, everything that he said, everything that came out from him were the demonstration, in, in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. He carried with him, within him, the power of an indestructible life, the life of Jesus. What had, what had happened to Paul was he had accepted the word of God so completely to such an extent that who God is, what God is like, what God has done, God himself filled the horizons of his mind. They filled his imagination completely. They filled his understanding. There was nothing that Paul thought about, that he looked at, situations that he encountered. There was no moment, no pondering that wasn't touched by the reality that the Creator God had loved the world so much that he entered it in the man Jesus of Nazareth. And then he overcame the power of evil by dying and rising. The dying and rising of the incarnate God, that filled him completely. The word of God filled him. And so there was nowhere that Paul went. There was no person he talked to. No situation he encountered that wasn't seen through that lens. It wasn't experienced through the lens that Jesus was there. And that Paul was looking and he was acting in accordance with the Spirit. The Word of God so filled his understanding that it affected everything he said and did. I don't mean merely that he knew the Scriptures thoroughly. Yes, he did. Yes. But he had always known the scriptures thoroughly, even when he was a Jewish rabbi. It wasn't just that he knew them. He understood those scriptures rightly because he had submitted himself to them. Because he had submitted all that he had, all that he was, everything about him, body, soul, mind, he had submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus, God's Word made flesh, was ruling Paul, transforming him, ordering those Scriptures that he knew so well so that he understood the world through them. The Word brought order. The Word brought meaning, brought direction to his life. But you wouldn't know it to look at him. There's the paradox. The bent, broken Paul. He was not impressive. He was the opposite of impressive. He was bent. Crooked. But that weakness of flesh. The weakness that we hate the weakness we want to keep so far from us because it's not nice. But that weakness kept him constantly dependent on the grace and power of God. There was a gift given through the weakness. He was a man on fire. He was on fire. And it was the way of the cross that got him there. And it was the way of the cross that kept him there. Through cold, through hunger, through sleepless nights, through achy joints. Through danger from Jews, danger from Gentiles. The worry about robbers. Crossing through desolate wilderness areas. Those things kept him from falling into the notion that he was fully sufficient on his own. There was never a moment that he could say, I got this. The path, the path that Jesus led him on kept him dependent on Jesus. And so he followed the way of Jesus. I do only what I see the Father doing. The words you hear, Jesus said, is not my own. It's the Father's who sent me. Paul was filled with the same word. And so he could understand his suffering as part of the message he proclaimed. It was consistent with the message he proclaimed. He lived the gospel. He demonstrated the gospel, which is we cannot save ourselves. But God loves us so much that he will. He will. And so Paul demonstrates the gospel in his life as well as in his words. Now, I am not encouraging you to seek out suffering just so you can demonstrate the gospel. Or to just leave yourself in the aches and pains. We should avail ourselves of every opportunity to rid ourselves of those aches and pains. But we take the journey that the Lord brings us. He's brought it to us. And do, do you know this, Christian? That that same word that filled up Paul, same word that shaped his understanding, enabled him to walk that journey, defined his life, that word of God is for us too. That's the life that Jesus offers to us as well. The same living Lord Jesus 
He's willing, he's ready to shape our horizons, to fill our imagination. So this morning, we are with Jesus. He is among us. He is with us. And his word is echoing through all that we do. The songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, the scriptures that we hear, the gospel demonstrated at the table as we have to get ourselves up, come forward and acknowledge we are people in need. And the sacrifice of Jesus has been made for us. We encounter the word through everything this morning. And so you are deciding, not just today, this morning, but in your heart, all the time deciding whether you will yield to the transforming word of God that is in you by his Holy Spirit. Will you yield to the living word? Will you let him touch your heart? Will you let him have this desire or that desire? And today, he offers his life to you. He offers that life. He offers that life of full sufficiency, complete with suffering. He offers you the way of the cross with the power to walk it. What a decision we face all the time. Will we take that way? Folks, it doesn't take prophetic gifting to see that we have entered a time when being filled with God's word uh, and living according to God's word is going to bring us moments, moments of countercultural decision making, moments of countercultural action. We're there already. Uh, there are narratives of salvation that are being offered to us. They're being offered by both the political left and the political right. Salvation. And those narratives are going to become more powerful. They're going to become more persuasive. They're going to press on us with increasing power. The more that our society feels pressure, the messages are going to be louder and louder. I'm not saying this is a prophecy. You just know it. Just look. You know it as well as I do. So let, let's just, let us be aware that... Uh, if war in Israel spills over into broader conflicts, a kingdom mindset is going to be harder to maintain. What we're doing here today is going to be harder to maintain. Because the days of consumer Christianity will be over. Faking it will be over. There's a goodness in that. The decision between the way of the cross, the way of Jesus our Lord, and the way of the perishing order is going to be starker, but the pressure to go that way is going to be greater. So what holds a person steady? What holds us through trials when they're great and the social rewards of Christianity are gone? Where does a person find hope and love 
The power to love, the power to love obnoxiousness, the power to love people who hate you. Where does that power come from? Where, where do we look when circumstances just push us to look out for yourself more and more? Well, Paul told us, and he shows us, as he told the Philippians, I have learned the secret of contentment in every circumstance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. So whether we live in times of simplicity, boredom, comfort, privilege, or we live in times of trial, it's the same life-giving word. It's the same word who's with us to shape us, with us, with us to form us, with us to make us holy, and to bring us to everlasting life. That's good news. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have anchored us. You are the anchor of our souls. We thank you that you are the rock, that you have carved out a place of safety for us, that you have secured us. We thank you for who you are and what you have done and what you are doing in us, that you would so love us, that you would hold and keep us for yourself. Lord, we ask that the good news of what you've done would go forward. We ask that you would so fill our horizons, you'd so fill our understanding that every conversation would be seen through the lens of what you've done and what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.